Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. I just spent four uh, days uh, with my mom um, for her birthday. Her birthday was the day before Mother's Day. And... um, two days before Mother's Day, but uh, her 94th birthday. And so that was a wonderful time, and uh, I certainly enjoyed it. And I I think it sort of helped me uh, prepare for this morning to have a a perspective uh, as we go into this message on uh, just how vital a mother is in your life. And um, so I got a couple quotes. I'll just start with that. I gave the one that I thought went with Matt's song perfectly. I'll do that again. And I love it because all of these quotes have somebody's name with them, but that one was unknown. They're like, I'm not. (laughs) I do what I want, when I want, where I want. I can just see a kid saying that. I could see Matt saying that at five. If my mom says it's okay. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's quote is, I remember my mother's prayers and they have always followed me. They have clung to me my whole life. Mother's prayers are just something else. And then there's this one, mothers are like glue. Even when you can't see them, they're still holding things together. So happy Mother's Day. It's good to see so many moms here today. Those joining us online, happy Mother's Day. We've been uh, focused for a season. Uh, Pastor Vic has led us in this uh, pursuit of kingdom-minded, servant-hearted. And... um, Matt last week did an excellent teaching on that, fantastic. I thought about it quite a bit during the week. And uh, I think that's what a message should do. When you come to church, there should be something you take away and work on. Let that work on you. Let that infiltrate you and conform you The idea of the Word of God is to wash you and renew your mind and conform you to the image of Christ. And um, I left off previously, just before Matt was talking about that, uh, one of the things he pointed out was forgiveness as a part of serving. And I had never really considered that. And I don't know if that's how he brought it out exactly, but that's how the Holy Spirit works. You know, I can be up here or anybody can be up here just saying something and trigger a word and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He will take you on a journey and teach you something that you're, and and later you go up to the pastor or the speaker and you say, that was fantastic. And you know it wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> so, 
So what you do know is that person got triggered by the Holy Spirit and went off with the Holy Spirit for a while and then came back and went, wow, good word. But I left off with uh, believe, confessing, and acting, carrying out, acting on the word of God, uh, making it work in your life. Um, but I had a few conversations after that with a few folks, and they said, well, you know, believing, what, what am I believing? Well, you know, it was pretty vague as far as, well, you, you believe the word of God to be true. But that's a pretty big book. How do you apply that in increments into your life? How do you take a little something here and place it into that, your life, and you believe it, and then you begin to confess it. Uh, and I brought out that often we can uh, speak ourselves into a false reality and not the reality that God has for you. I left off with uh, David and Goliath. And I want to read that. I didn't have time to read that. And I'm just going to start there with David and Goliath. And I believe this fits in with mothers. Mothers have so much uh, ability to form in us when we're young. Uh, I thought, again, of Matt's song. I remember a couple of times running away from home. I ran away from home a lot when I was little. And my mom would give me a stick and she'd a handkerchief full of stuff and I'd tie it on there and I'd be walking down and I'd go down the long dirt path road to the paved road that no traffic ever came by to. And I would just stand there. <laughs> and then I'd go home. So, you know, that was important to me that my mother helped me run away. She never said, what's wrong with you? She never said, well, you're crazy. She just said, oh, you, you want to leave home? Okay, well, let me help you out here. You know, go on down to the road and stand there. You know, she could have an eye on me out there too, you know. But in the confessing, you find something as you're meditating on the word of God, as you're reading through the word of God, and it will, as I say, trigger you or, or, or stick with you. And you begin to let that develop a picture in your mind. There's a big difference between confessing truth and positive thinking. I'm not against positive thinking. I prefer thinking positively over negativity. Um, but when you're speaking truth, confessing that, developing a picture of how your life looks in that truth, then it changes the outcome. Positive thinking, like I said, I, think, I don't think it's a bad thing. It doesn't hold the same power as truth. So let me make that clear. Confessing what you see in the word of God and uh, what God is putting in you is different than just simply self-improvement and positivity, positive thinking, because there's a difference in the power level of what it will produce, the outcome. 
So believe in your heart what the scripture says, confess it with your mouth, and then act upon it. The Bible tells us if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. Now, confessing so often is speaking faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And confessing or testimonial or the profession of our faith or the casting of that picture that God has placed in your mind and putting it before you and speaking it out. Um, will cause the eventuality of that outcome. So we're, we left off with David. And as I, I think where I left off was uh, some movie I'd seen about David. And, uh, you know, he faces Goliath and he's kind of skirting around and trying to dodge Goliath and so on and so forth. I don't think it happened that way at all because the scripture doesn't show it that way. And I don't know why Hollywood, even Christian producers in Hollywood, can't present it right. So anyway, let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I know I don't have this on the, on the scripture board, and I don't know if they have any of my stuff this morning. But And shout out to those in the sound booth and the audio. I mean, it's sort of that... Servant-hearted, often unseen except the mistakes. We don't see any of the good stuff that's going on. We're all just blessed and in glory. But then as soon as the thing crackles or this, they're all like a kid in the restaurant or a parent in the restaurant with their kids screaming. They're like, oh, what am I doing? You know, but we don't notice. I just want you to know that. We're like, hey, Jesus didn't even have that problem. But he says, greater things than these will you do. So in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, begin with verse 32. David is telling Saul the king, he says, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Now that sounds like he's a pretty pertinent little dude, doesn't it? Like, really? In fact, that's what Saul said. Don't be ridiculous. How many times have you felt God said to you something and immediately you're hitting with the word, you're hitting with the thought, don't be ridiculous? Or how many times have you known that, that God has just blessed you and, and, and you've you got to share this and, and maybe not even your thoughts. Maybe somebody says, yeah, that's not you. You can't do that. You can't do that. That happens a lot growing up. Happens a lot to children. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Right there, we're talking about pictures going forth. David had a picture. I'll fight this Philistine. I'll go fight him. And immediately, a, a picture... See, we're all born into this world and immediately we're getting pictures put into our, our lives about what we can't do. 
because the world wants you to conform to the world. But David persisted. He said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep's Sheep and goats, he said, and when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with the club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. (laughs) I have done this to both lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, now listen to this picture, and he's putting it in his, it's in his own mind, and he's putting it to Saul. He's changing Saul, the king's faith. He says, the Lord rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul finally consented and said, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Sort of a last rites kind of a thing. (laughs) Then he gave him his armor. It wouldn't fit. David said, this isn't how I have been tested and tried by the Lord. This isn't how the Lord has shown me. So often we think, We can't do it because we don't have the right arm. No, the lessons of your life is to prepare you for what he has for you to do today and tomorrow. Whether they were good things or bad things, whether they were a bear attacking you or a lion attacking you. And you're alive today, so somehow you you slew that thing. And even if you come out all tattered and torn up, that equipped you. And David said about these things, he says, I can't go in these. He protested to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him. Here's David. He's got a bag with five smooth stones, his sling. This guy has a shield bearer. I mean, I am projecting a picture to you, you little squirt. I am projecting a picture to you. In fact, he projected such a picture that all the armies of Israel were trembling. Sneering in contempt at, his ruddy, at this ruddy-faced boy, he says, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath yelled. Goliath, once again, now listen to this. The world, once again, is putting a false picture in your mind. How do you combat that? By the picture God has given you, the faith picture that God has placed in you. 
And David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, two different pictures at work here. One is what the world presents. One is what God has put in the eyes and the mind and the heart of David and faith. And he's already been tested in this, you see? He's already been proven and, and prepared for this. I mean, he hasn't been tested by going out and killing other Goliaths, getting ready for it. But his testing produced a faith picture that changed everything. This same principle works in every aspect of your life. Uh, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus used the same principle. Do we have that in the um, King James Version? In uh, verse 18, well, we'll back up a little bit. Verse, uh, verse 16, Jesus is encountering Simon Peter. In verse 16, uh, Simon Peter answers Jesus when, when he was asked, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Now his name's Simon. And all of a sudden Jesus is speaking to him. Your name is Peter, which means rock. Simon meant reed. Simon meant he just blows whichever way the wind's going, you know? He's just a reed in the wind. Where'd I leave off? Help me out here. It, yeah, right. But which chapter? Okay, here we go. <laughs> which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you forbid on earth, and he goes on to say that. But here's the idea. Jesus put a picture in Simon's mind. Amen. Simon is just bounced around with whatever, and he comes to him and he says, you are no longer Simon you are Peter, you are a rock. And after a while, and after spending time with Jesus, eventually, Peter became that person. Jesus could have said this to him instead of saying, you're a rock, 
and changing Peter's perception of himself by the truth that Jesus saw. See, Jesus saw truth and spoke truth. Jesus knew and recognized the outward uh, fact that Peter was not that at all. I mean, he just wasn't that. And uh, Jesus could have easily said to uh, Peter, I wrote this down, let me, let me read it. And Jesus recognized the outward fact that Peter was easily blown about by the wind, but Jesus saw reality. He saw Peter the apostle. He saw Peter the leader. He saw Peter the pillar of the church. Jesus could have easily said, Simon... I can see you are emotionally unstable. I'm looking for disciples, solid people, solid individuals. You don't fit that. You're an unstable person. Seriously. But he saw and spoke the reality of what God saw. Because why do I say because of what God saw? Because Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. Now, it took time. It took repetition. It it took instruction. But within a few years, Peter became that person. Peter's life conformed to that truth. Peter's life conformed to the reality of what Jesus first saw in him. Now, when Jesus is speaking to you these things in your life, and he wants to put a faith picture of you and what he wants to do in you and how he wants to change you and make you uh, mighty, powerful, holy, all these things, and you're like immediately confronted with truth versus, oh, I'm none of those things. None of those things. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be a good Christian. Folks, this isn't about being a good Christian. This is about taking the Word of God, letting it conform, Change your, renew your mind and begin to cause what you speak to line up with truth. Jesus kept imparting that faith picture to Peter. It wasn't too long after he said this to Peter that he also, when Peter said something, he said, get behind me, Satan. You savor not the things of God, but the things of man. What was he speaking to there? A picture. Our life is all about perception and pictures. I, uh, as I mentioned, I spent uh, a few days in uh, Idaho with my mother and my sisters. And she lives in a, my mother lives in a 55 and over community. And, you know, really a lot of nice people, but they're all going to come by because they want to see, I don't know, apparently my mother has boasted on me. Yeah. And, and maybe 
I don't really exist. You know, it's, she's 94. She keeps talking about this person, but we've never seen him yet. <laughs> and, uh, and later it caused my sister and I to talk about perception of what it was like growing up. And I'll get to that. But this one lady came over, and, and uh, she's a talker. I mean, I learned her life story in just a few minutes. But she said uh, in it, she said she was an only child. I'm listening. I said, yeah, I was too. Now, she knows that's not so because she knows both of my sisters, you know. But she goes, you were? And I said, yeah, I had two older sisters. But I was the only boy and the youngest. I was an only child. That was my perception. Later, my sister and I were talking, and my sister said, well, Paula was the favorite. And I said, no, you were. You were the favorite. Dad always talked about you. He did? You know? Perception of how we perceive things. That's why it's so important that our perception is uh, renewed in the Word of God. Perhaps you've got a gift. Maybe your gift is prophecy, prophesying. Maybe your gift is uh, interpretation of, of tongues. There's tongues and interpretation of tongues. Maybe your, your gift is giving. Maybe your gift is leading. Maybe your, whatever gift you have, and yet you have a picture that keeps you from fulfilling that. Or you have a friend who says, who do you think you are? Really? I know you. Jesus could have done that to Peter. You know, you're really not what I'm looking for, Peter. No, Peter was exactly what he was looking for. And why is that? In 1 Corinthians, it says, God chooses the weak things of this world. He chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. We'll read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. Now, I want to put this in you, in everybody's thinking today, to walk away, because I want this to begin to work on you. I want to put a, a picture in your mind. Well, maybe your picture, from my perception right now, is, well, I'm old. I had my time. Maybe yours is, I'm young. I don't know it all. Maybe yours is, I didn't go to the, to the seminary. Uh, when Matt spoke last week, he said, I haven't been trained in a seminary. I went, praise God. Yeah. I got a good pastor friend. He said he went to a good seminary. It only took him seven years to get saved afterwards. Uh, nothing wrong with learning and education but it's more powerful to act on the word of God in your life. He'll use you much more. 
Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Then we'll go to verse 24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you, not very many, few of you were wise in this world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Boy, I'll tell you what, the world is putting out a huge picture of victimization. We're all victims. We are not. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Anyway, it goes on to say, but here's an idea. You're getting, once again, two different narratives, two different pictures, two different plans. Begin to confess. It's not positive thinking when you confess what God says about you. Amen. We've got a, a lot of moms and wives here today. Husbands, let me address you for a minute. If you're one of these guys that says, eh, come on over, my wife's fixing another burnt offering. That's what you're going to get. And, and, and wife, listen to me. Mom, listen to me. If that's a comment you get, give them a burnt offering. Just do it. Uh, I, I used to go, when I had hair, I used to go to this uh, place and get my hair cut. And uh, one time I'm in there, and these gals are just going on and on and on about how terrible their husbands are. And I'm talking, most of them are all like husband number threes, just as bad as husband number one was, you know. But I, I stupidly didn't use wisdom at that moment, realizing I, I'm about to get my hair cut. And I said, well, if you would start speaking faith about your husbands and talk about the virtues that are truly residing in him and accentuate them rather than this narrative, you know, they wouldn't be like this at all, and your whole conversation in this place wouldn't be so bad. I got a really bad haircut that day. <laughs> Personal testimony as we're closing, an area for me was finances. I was in business. We did well with our business and so on and so forth, but... Um, there was just this place where my wife and I had discussions about uh, tithing. She was just 
rock solid. We tithe. And I was using every argument out there. I was like, well, I can't really find tithing as a thing in the New Testament. You know, I overlooked that Jesus said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, which was a percentage, when you think about it. Give unto God that which is God's, which would be a percentage. And I was like, well, you know, early on it went that way. Well, yeah, it kind of was. Melchizedek received tithe, you know. So it's a... It's a place that God wanted to bring me to and put a different picture in my mind. And he did it through uh, in the book of Malachi. One time I was reading the book of Malachi. And I mean, my wife and I struggled with this. And she, she's a good woman. My wife is a good woman. Yeah, amen. She, yeah, that's right. Thank you. And she says, if you want to go down that path, because I was like, I, I think it's more important that I just give as God directs me. And she says, I think it's smarter that we give 10%. He says, tithe. Tithe means a tenth. It's not like he's, <laughs> I mean, today's world, we could put a sign out there with a reader board, or, you know, to, to drum up a larger congregation, now offering six and a half percent tithe, you know. <laughs> but uh, it was a struggle for me. It was a real struggle. And so I felt that I could give more by not practicing this law of tithing or command of tithing. And it's not a law or it's not a command, by the way. Anyway, so I said, let's just give and then we'll take three months and we'll look back and see what we did. And, and I thought, man, I'm being so generous and we're just really doing it now. And Give here, give there, give this Sunday, give this Sunday. And we look back and we didn't reach 10%. And my wife, I believe, I don't recall, but she keeps the checkbook. I think she made up the difference. But I read this. It says... Uh, in Malachi, where am I looking for in Malachi, Bob? Hmm? 310. Thank you. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in the temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. So what happened to me there is I read that and it began to change the picture that was in my mind. And instead of seeing I don't have enough or how are we going to do this, how are we going to make ends meet, I began to see a window in heaven pouring out. And so I just yielded to that picture in my life, and I yielded to the wisdom of my wife in that. Husbands, we are given wives for a reason. Um, I yielded to that, and it began to change my uh, life's picture of well, I don't know, you know, the kids have this need and we have that need and the car's kind of ratty right now. But I pictured that window of heaven being opened up and God's blessing poured out. And pretty soon I needed to build a storage shed 
And pretty soon I built a greenhouse that I don't have room to put green vegetables in. It's, you know, what I'm saying is I have never gone hungry. I have never gone destitute. I've never felt forsaken by God. Our lives have been blessed because God says, go ahead and put me to the test in this and see if I will not do that. So for me, I want to share with you my faith picture that changed our lifestyle. And uh, it just has a wonderful effect on my life. You all have something like that that God will want to speak to you. I hope you go away today with, with an area that God is speaking to you. Maybe it's to start speaking faith to your spouse, husband or wife. You know, uh, it goes both ways that way. You begin to speak to them how wonderful they are, what a blessing they are. You know, because we get into arguments as spouses. I, I know I've heard you tell me that. I've never experienced it personally. <laughs> and when those arguments come out, sometimes you don't have faith pictures to go with them. So it's important that you, even if you had an argument on the way to church. Yeah. You know, my wife and I used to argue on the way to church. We thought that was a part of the Christian experience because of every Sunday. Um, so it's important that during the week, you keep a confession up about one another. And that's not positive thinking. That is speaking truth. And we're going to end with this scripture in uh, Proverbs 31. And I know there's moms in here. There's uh, wives in here. There's mothers-to-be in here. Yeah. Maybe you're not married, but maybe you have the desire to be married. Well, it's just a natural progression that you most likely would have uh, a child. Uh, many people just uh, sometimes don't have their own children, but they take on all the children of the church or they adopt, whatever. But... This goes to everybody. This applies to every woman in here. So we're going to, I want every man in here to stand up. Okay. In Proverbs 31, it's speaking of a, uh, a virtuous woman, a wife of noble character. Now, I know it says wife here, but we're speaking it to every woman in this church. Do we have this in the King James? Can we pop that up in the King James? Yeah, we'll start there. 10, 11, I don't know when we'll end. I want you guys to read this with me. You ready? Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. 
She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and she buys it. From her prophets, she plants a vineyard. Now, we're just going to stop there. I want you guys to read that. And women, you read it and remind your husbands or husbands-to-be or boyfriends. And if, by the way, if you're seeking for a husband and he does not have this per- picture of you in his mind, he's the wrong guy. Either that or you put that picture in his mind. And if he gets it, then he's the right guy. But we don't want to have a reality that's wrong. We want to have a reality that's kingdom-minded and servant-hearted. Amen? Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.